0: It's great to see you all here this morning. Thank you, Richard, and praise team for leading us in such wonderful worship. Before we get into the message today, I did want to call attention to any veterans that might be here in this worship service today. Yesterday, of course, was Veterans Day. And I think it's only right that we honor our veterans and share our appreciation with them. Maybe a hand clap of affirmation. So if you are a military veteran of any branch of service, any of you men, any of you ladies, you've worn the uniform of one of our branches of service, and you're here in this place, I'm going to ask you, would you stand right now so that we can affirm you? And we just want to thank you for your service, every one of our veterans. God bless you. Amen. Amen. We really do appreciate you. If you've got your copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite your attention to the Gospel of John, John chapter 4. We're going to be unpacking some verses in this chapter, beginning with verse 27 and going down there to verse 38. But we'll refer to some other parts of this passage as we have today the second message in our series, A Heart for the harvest last Sunday our message was entitled laboring in the Lord's harvest we looked at Matthew chapter 9 especially where Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few of course he's speaking about spiritual reaping of souls the harvest of people that we reap for the master and you'll note on the screen there and on your listening God today our message is entitled, Looking for a Larger Harvest. It is in this fourth chapter of John that Jesus makes the statement there in verse 35 to his disciples. And I believe across the centuries of time and the continents of space to us to say, look, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are ripe. They're ready. They're primed. They are white unto Harvest. Now, anybody whose life has been touched by life on a farm in some way knows the importance and the urgency of the harvest and also the joy that comes when the harvest is brought in. Jesus Christ lived in that kind of world, He lived in an agricultural society. His most basic parable had to do with a sower who went out with seed and different kinds of soil. And he's talking about the harvest, but Jesus applies that to spiritual harvesting. So that's at the heart of this series. And our text today comes in the context of one of the most famous conversations that Jesus had there in John chapter four with a lady that we've come to know simply as The woman at the well. You'll recall the story that Jesus, John records, had to go through Samaria. You need to understand, I think, the geography of the land there. Uh, Down south was Judea. Up north was Galilee. And there was some area in between those two. And so they called it Samaria. Come on, you'll get it about 3 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, Samaria and Jesus and his disciples have gone there. And the scripture says he had to go through there, but most Jews did not go through there because of the antagonistic relationship that Jews had with Samarians. They would actually cross over the Jordan, head south, and then cross back in to Jerusalem or other places there in Judea. But Jesus had to go through Samaria because he was working the work of the Father. And there was a woman, a needy woman, a sinful woman who had gone to the well. Jacob's well was there. And John is careful to record that she went there at noon. Nobody went to draw water at noon, the hottest part of the day. You read between the lines, she probably went there because maybe she was an outcast, maybe she was ostracized because of her sinful lifestyle. But Jesus, the great lover of souls, as a master soul winner, Reaped a harvest you you read that account it's magnificent how he brought her to faith in himself he gently touched her at the point of her sin go call your husband when he had created a, a thirst in her if you knew who you were talking to you would ask me for a drink finally she says I want that living water because he said it's going to be a, a well inside of you springing up to eternal life. But first, go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you've spoken right. You've already had five men. The man you're living with now is not your husband. So I believe he put his finger on her sin. She was convicted. You see, Jesus knew that people were drinking from all kinds of wells in life trying to get satisfaction. But he said this, whoever drinks this water, Is going to thirst again. Friend, you could write that over any well of life. But he says, You come to me, I will give you living water. And so John records that she left her water pot. She wasn't thirsty anymore. And she went into town, and the town outcast suddenly becomes the town evangelist, and she says, Come out here and see a man. He told me everything I'd ever done. You see, Christ had even revealed to her that he was the Messiah. So the disciples have come back. They saw him talking to the woman. They didn't really understand that. That wasn't really kosher in that society, especially a a Samaritan woman. But they, they knew better than to ask him about it. But when this story unfolds, as we'll see in a moment, The townspeople are flocking out to meet this man that the woman at the well has told them about. And that's when Jesus says, lift up your eyes. I want you to see the harvest. The fields are white to harvest. You'll note on the screen and on your listening guide this one introductory truth, and it is this. There are great lessons about spiritual harvesting that come from the conversion of the woman at the well and the curiosity surrounding it. The disciples were curious about it. Of course, the town folk were curious about it. And Jesus seizes upon this whole event to teach lessons that I think are so important for us today about bringing in the harvest spiritually. So three things I want you to note today as we kind of unpack some of these verses. Number one, I want you to note there on your listing guide, the food that is refreshing. Christ is going to make a comment to them. You see it there on the screen in verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Jesus is referencing a kind of food that satisfied them that they had not yet wrapped their minds around. Now I want you to understand this truth. There is a reason why We emphasize things in the Christian life for you. For example, giving, giving financially. I've told churches that I've been privileged to lead through the years this great truth. More than the church needs your money, you need to give it because of what giving will do in your life. The same thing is true in our witnessing for the Lord and in our working for the Lord. More than that benefits the church. More than our sharing Christ even benefits people that are reaped for the kingdom or people into whose lives we sow. Friends, we ought to be about the business of evangelism and missions because of what it does to us and what it does for us. And we see that in the example of Christ. Note two truths at this point. First of all, note this. Doing harvest work will expend our strength and we will be tired. Scholars have long marveled in this text how the Son of God, who also was a Son of Man, is pictured by John. John tells us that Jesus was wearied. He was tired from the journey. He's sitting there by Jacob's well. He's worn out. We might say here in Alabama, he was plumb tuckered out, amen? And he's thirsty. He says, give me something to drink to this lady. And apparently he's hungry. The disciples have been sent there into town to buy some food. And yet this same Christ is going to offer this woman living water and reveals himself as the Messiah. You see here both the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. He was fully man and he was fully God. But it is instructive to me and inspirational to me that in his work and in his ministry, Jesus was thirsty, hungry, and he was tired. And friends, we are going to see in our lives that our strength gets expended and we get tired in ministry. We don't get tired of ministry. We get tired in the ministry. And can I tell you, it ought to be so. Friends, if we get exhausted and worn out over everything else under the sun, It's right and it's normal that sometimes in the midst of doing harvest work, we will get tired. You know, this church, like most Baptist churches, is a veritable beehive of activity. We can look at the announcements on the slides. We can see them on Facebook or the church website or on the handout. And sometimes we read those and I don't know about you, but sometimes I get tired just reading them. You may have heard the poem that says Mary had a little lamb. She would have had a sheep. But she joined a Southern Baptist church and died from lack of sleep. (laughs) We, We can wear you out in the church. And our energy can be spent and we can get tired. But I want you to know the second truth here though. And it is that doing harvest work will energize our soul and we will be Transform. Let's pick up here in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? You see, when you read the Gospel of John at this point and you kind of read between the lines, You're you're going to see that something happened. When they left their master sitting by the well, he was worn out and hungry. He was thirsty. They go into town to buy food. But when they come back, he's different. He's been transformed. He's sitting erect. His countenance is shining. His eyes are just gleaming. There's a smile on his face something has restored him, something has reinvigorated him, something has re-energized him. They saw a veritable metamorphosis in their master and they wonder about it and they begin to say to one another, did somebody bring him some food? Did somebody slip him a Happy Meal while we had gone into pub- to Publix there in Sychar? No, what had happened was He had been refreshed by a different kind of food they didn't know anything really about. And I want to submit to you, church, spiritual harvesting will do exactly the same thing for us. You look at it as this this story unfolds. They were saying to him, Rabbi, eat. In the original language, it was something. They were urgently pressing upon him and individually pressing upon him. John probably said lovingly, Master, you need to eat something. Peter said bluntly out of his personality, You need to eat. Thomas, the doubting one, said, I doubt you're going to make it if you don't eat something. Judas, the treasurer, said, We've spent all this money on food. Now you need to eat. And there's nothing wrong with that. Our physical necessities must be met. But you look at how he responds, I have food to eat that you do not know about. There in verse 32, we see a contrast between that which sustained them and that which sustained him. Basically what Jesus is saying is, your agenda is not really my agenda. What sustains you physically is beside the point I'm being sustained here by something greater spiritually. I don't think Jesus was speaking in anger. I don't think he was condescending, calling them goofballs or knuckleheads, putting them down. I think he was looking at some far horizon. He saw what the Father was doing. He was working the work of the Father. He was excited about what had happened in this woman's life. He knew the townsfolk were on the way. He was looking for a larger harvest and having joined his Father in the redemption, Redemptive work that he was doing. Jesus was refreshed. The disciples don't get it, so all they can think about is somebody must have brought him some food. And They said that to one another. They, they saw that look on his face. They'd seen it before, don't you imagine? They knew it would probably do no good to say anything to him, so they said to one another that there's somebody bringing to eat. They just didn't grasp how he had gotten so re. Energized, They were puzzled about it. But friends, this is a perfect example for us about how our doing evangelism, our doing mission work, our doing the work of harvesting can spiritually re-energize us. Now, if your agenda is not the agenda of Christ, you're going to be as confused as these disciples were. Friends, you may see some folks around this church, Crossroads Community Church, that have a little spring in their step. They stand a little taller. They got a smile on their face. They got a little gleam in their eye. It may be that what you don't need to ask is, are you eating better? It may be they've discovered the same joy that Jesus had in spiritual reaping. And you look there at verse 34 This on the screen, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Folks, that is a great statement from Jesus. It is as if he's saying, Guys, I am not ultimately sustained by the bread and the cheese and the grapes that you brought from Sychar. I am sustained by doing what I've just done witnessing, and seeing this sinful woman's life changed. It has charged me up, and there's more harvest to come. Jesus had fresh food. He had resurging resources. He had a surprising sustenance. And friends, I'm saying to you, we can too. You look around most churches, a lot of people are worn out. A lot of people are tired. A lot of people are weary. And here's the truth, friends. Christ has never promised to reinvigorate us and to restore us unless our agenda is his agenda. He may very well say to us, go ahead, have church. Do church. Come up with your slogans. Come up with your campaigns. But if it's not on my agenda, ultimately the wheels are going to come off of your church wagon. And you are going to be left wearied, tired, and worn out physically, spiritually, and emotionally. He's not promised to keep us from fatigue or burnout or exhaustion if we're running on our own agenda. We better get on his agenda. And we looked at his agenda last week, Luke 19, 10. He said the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I'm asking, is that your agenda? When your agenda lines up with that agenda, friend, you can get restored and regenerated. I'm saying we got to quit feeding people in the church that which will not sustain them. What will sustain all of us is harvest work. Oh, there is a food that is refreshing. But I want you to note item two there on your listening guide. I want you to note the fields that are ripe. Right. Jesus turns the attention of the disciples from the inwardness of hidden food to the outwardness of white fields. Now, note two truths at this juncture. First note there, item A. Jesus cautions us not to procrastinate with the harvest. Look at verse 36. Do you not say, there yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white Four harvest. That statement, there are four months to harvest, was a proverbial statement in that day and in that culture and in that climate. They would sow in January, they would reap in May. So there was a saying, four months to harvest. And he says when it comes to spiritual harvesting, you can't say that because there's an urgency about the harvest. It's harvest time right now. Folks, our problem, I think, as Baptists when it comes to winning people to Jesus is not so much a problem of information as it is a problem of procrastination. Most of us know the plan of salvation. We know the gospel. We know our own testimony. And we're planning on sharing that. We're intending to share that. We want to share that. We're training to share that. We're hoping to share that. But what we often are doing is procrastinating and procrastination is perilous delay is dangerous we looked at it last Sunday for the farmer the harvest was now or never the harvest was plentiful yes but as we said last week the harvest is perishing it's going to rot it's going to spoil There are going to be insects There are going to be birds of prey there's going to be inclement weather The farmer might wish he could bring it in by slower degrees or put it off for a few more months. But no, he knew it was an emergency. And folks, the harvest has got to be brought in and it's got to be brought in now. He cautions us about procrastination. But I want you to note item B there. Jesus challenges us to perceive the harvest. In verse 35 he says, look, I tell you, some translations say, behold, that was an, in, an attention-grabbing word. And then he said, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. See. That word in the original language is actually a word from which we get the word theater. It meant to observe carefully, to look at something just like you're looking at a play on a stage so that you can learn something, to behold a spectacle, to watch intensely. It meant a careful, deliberate gaze to grasp the significance of what you're looking at. That's why I said the challenge is to perceive the harvest. Here's the pattern of Christ for evangelism. You pray, you look, you feel And you go, that was his pattern, that must be our pattern. And here's something, when you read the Gospels, you'll find out about Christ. He was always aware of harvest fields, always aware of individuals. It might be a lady who touched his garment in the crowd, and he says, who touched me? Remember that story, the bleeding woman? It might be little Zacchaeus, that crook, that tax collector up in the tree. Jesus turned aside really from all of redemptive history. He was headed to Jerusalem to die. And he goes to that tree says, You come down. I'm going to your house today. It might be a blind Bartimaeus sitting by a roadside just yelling out, Son of David, have mercy on me. But he stopped because he really perceived people and their needs and he saw them as harvest fields. And I want you to look at these verses beginning there with verse 27. I want you to note how this story continues to unfold. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And then look at how that verse ends. She says, can this be the Christ? And verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Do you see it? He's just said to these fellows, I've got sustenance. I've got a food you don't know anything about. I'm refreshed. I'm reinvigorated. But if you guys would just lift up your eyes and look, what was happening? The townsfolk were coming over the hill, headed out to the well. And he's basically saying, there they come, boys. I want you to look at the crowds, see them as harvest, as fields, that are white for harvest. If they had just looked, if they had just opened their eyes, they would have perceived a harvest. I want to ask you, how do you see people around you? Especially lost people. Do you look at them in condescension? Do they disgust you? Do they disappoint you? Do you look at people wondering what they can do for you? Do you look at people just Curious about them? No, no. Here's how we're to look at people. We're to see people as a potential harvest. Dear lady, dear fellow, if you're a school teacher, how do you see your students? Just as kids in a class, young people in the classroom, do you see them as a potential harvest? Mr. businessman, Mr. business lady, how do you see your employees? How do you, dear friend, where you work see your fellow workers? Do you just see them as somebody to kind of hang out with at the water cooler and swap jokes? Or do you see them as a potential harvest? Young people, boys and girls, how do you see your fellow students? Do you see them as just buddies, pals, classmates? Or do you see them as a potential harvest? Whomever it might be, any friend, any relative, any associate, any neighbor, in any of your circles of life, Would you ask God to help you to perceive, to really open your eyes and see them as a potential harvest? There's a food that is refreshing. There are fields that are ripe. But notice this third and final truth, and that is the fruit that is Rewarding. Verse 36, Jesus says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Jesus says, when you're in the harvesting business spiritually, when you're reaping, they're wages. And what is the wage? The sower and reaper may rejoice together. They have a gladness. There's nothing like the joy of reaping. That great soul winning psalm, Psalm 126 in verse 6, tells us that he who goes out with seed and he goes out weeping shall come again, shall come home with songs of joy, bringing sheaves with him. That's where we got that old hymn, Baptist, bringing in the sheaves. Any of you know that song? If you were raised in a Southern Baptist church down south, you probably knew it as like this bringing in the sheaves bringing in the sheaves we shall come rejoicing bringing in the sheaves and note two truths here first there note this the reward for the harvest is equally shared between sower and reaper verses 37 and 38 for here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps Jesus says I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor others have labored and you have entered into their labor What's he speaking about? He said, I've already done some work here, fellas. He's gone before them. The woman at the well has gone before them. They're going to be able to reap part of their efforts. In a wider sense, the Old Testament writers and prophets had gone before them. John the Baptist had even gone before Jesus' friend. Lean into this. Whenever you're involved in evangelism and mission, somebody has already gone before. Sowing seed. And maybe sometimes that's all you're doing is sowing seed. Maybe you get to be in on the reaping of the harvest. But both the sower and the reaper get to rejoice together. No witness is ever wasted. No work is ever worthless. But note this second truth. And that is this. The reward for the harvest is eternally significant. Verse 36. Already. The one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. That doesn't mean that if you win people, you gather fruit, you get eternal life. Like you're going to earn eternal life. What it means is this. The fruit we pick and the harvest that we reap last forever. Every time we have a part in bringing somebody to faith in Christ We are putting that soul in the barn of glory, in the storehouse of heaven. And it's a harvest that's going to last for all eternity. Don't you want to be a part of that which lasts forever? It is eternally significant. It's fruit that lasts. Drop to that conclusion and note this first statement, folks. We must get back to doing the main task to which we are called. You know, Jesus left his church with the great commandment and the great commission. I'm so happy that here in this church you've seized on that with with your motto and your, your themes. For the great commandment is this, love God, love people. I see that on your publications. I see that around the church. Love God, love people. That's the great commandment. And then the great commission, Jesus said, was to go. And to make disciples, and that's another part of your slogan, make disciples. But folks, we can't make disciples and teach them to observe everything he's told us unless we what? Unless we go. Unless we get out into the fields. I've long said this. It's not original with me. But when it comes to the church, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is bringing in the harvest. Let's be sure that we're not focusing on that which is marginal or peripheral, but that which is central to what God has called us to do. Back in 1992, I was pastoring in another state, but I was asked to preach at the pastor's conference here in Alabama. I was so honored. And I looked on the program, and right before me was Dr. Cecil Taylor I did not know him, but it said that he was the head of the religion department at the University of Mobile, probably Mobile College even back then. I think now it's the chair of Christian Studies. And I thought, in, in just my arrogance, I thought, well, this is going to be as exciting as watching paint dry some professor, you know, head of a religion department preaching. Let me tell you, he preached the paint off the wall. I'll never forget the story that Dr. Taylor told about a time when he was a little boy and he went to see his grandfather and grandmother. They were living on a farm and he said that granddaddy woke him up early one morning and he said, come on, got some things we need to do. And Went out with his grandfather as he milked the cow and he said, I want you to gather up a few eggs. Grandmama's going to cook a breakfast. And So he brought those in and he said, I want you to get a, a few logs and come put them over here by the fire. And then he said, breakfast is not quite ready, so why don't you just sweep off the, the back porch. He did that. He said, all right, now, I want you to set the table for breakfast. And he said he did, and grandmama fed, fed him a, just a magnificent breakfast. And he said he was so full and, and sleepy, he went back and got in bed and pulled the covers over him. Granddaddy came in and nudged him and said, no, 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 it's time to go to work. He said, go to work? Granddaddy, what do you think we've been doing? And his granddaddy said this. Son, season, what we do around the house is chores. The work is in the field. And Dr. Taylor said, what we do around the church house is chores. Teaching, ushering, greeting, serving on committees, serving in the music ministry, working with kids. Thank God for all of that. But friends, let this settle in. Those are chores. The real work is in the field. When I heard that story, I thought of that song that Lanny Wolf wrote so many years ago. Let me just read the lyrics and we're done. There's peace and contentment in the Father's house today. Lots of food on His table and no one is turned away. There is singing and laughter as the hours pass by, but a hush calms the singing as the father sadly cries. My house is full, but my field is empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems my children all want to stay around my table, but no one wants to work in my field. No one wants to work in my field. So the second verse says, Push away from the table, look out through the window pane, and just beyond this house of plenty lies a field of golden grain, and it is ripe unto harvest. But the reapers, where are they? In the house. Oh, can't the children hear the Father sadly say? And what does he say? He says, My house is full, but my field is empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems my children all want to stay around my table, but no one wants to work. In my field, no one wants to work in my field. Note that last admonition in our prayer. Let's all accept the challenge to get out of the Father's house and into His fields. Amen, church. Amen. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. As we enter this time of prayer, the band will be making their way here to the stage to lead us in this song. It'll be a song of closing, but a song of invitation. And I'm going to be here at the front to greet you. If anyone needs to be reaped today, you need to be saved, you can come. Or maybe you need to join the church, you can come. Maybe you need prayer, you can come. Let's all make a fresh commitment To get out from just around the table. Out of the Father's house. Where we may be doing a lot of chores. But let's remember that the work is in the field. Make a fresh surrender to be a reaper. Father God, have your way now in this invitation. May those upon whose hearts you're tugging come as you lead them. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.